Hello, and welcome to Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing the lectionary for Advent 4. A note for listeners. During today's conversation, topics arise from the readings concerning sexuality, trafficking, and childhood trauma. Listener discretion is advised. Our prophetic guests this week are the Reverend Dr. Christina O'Hara, who is a spiritual director and is the rector of Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd. Originally from Toronto, Canada, she lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, enjoys hiking and ballet. And Padre John Willard, who is the Superintending Presbyter of the Rosebud Episcopal Mission West and Rector of Trinity Episcopal Church in Mission, South Dakota. Padre John is passionate about storytelling, social justice, and finding God all around us. And last but not least, Dr. Sandra Montes, who is a singer, speaker, and writer who loves exploring her indigenous and Latina roots. She is the Dean of Chapel at Union Theological Seminary and serves as a member of Executive Council of the Episcopal Church. She lives in Texas and New York. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I'm so glad to have you all here. What do we need to keep in mind this Advent in particular this year? I think that we should keep in mind that we're coming, some of us think we're coming out of pandemic, and some of us are still in the midst of the pandemic. Mm. A lot of churches are coming back to their buildings. You know, I feel like that has been going on for a little bit where that excitement of, oh my gosh, we're going to get to be together in the building, you know, that advent of, you know, all of us looking forward to that. So I think that's one thing we need to continue to think about that it's almost like an advent for us, you know, those of us who are going back in person. Mm. Yeah, we've been back for a little while, but numbers are much less than before. So even coming back sort of after in these waning days of the pandemic, um, it's really affected people's attendance. And so, I mean, I guess it creates a different sense of expectation. It might not be expectation of great numbers, but I think even as numbers have decreased, those who are here, we depend on one another that much more. Hmm. And I also think it's really important uh, always to remember that Advent is a um, traditionally a penitential season. Mm. And it's not necessarily penance in the same way Lent is, and penance more in the sense of preparation. Obviously, it's not Christmas, but it's the preparation for our Eastern uh, brothers, the Eastern Church. They really focus on the incarnation as being really the apex, whereas the West focuses on the resurrection as being the apex. But I always go back to Paul where. God is pouring God's self out into human flesh. And wow, that's just a big thing to think about. And we should be preparing to remember God poured God's self out into human flesh. Be ready for the wow. Hmm. We get so much about the incarnation and that God with us in these passages today. And I think we need that hope. We need that word in the midst of the uncertainty of elections and looking at inflation and the cost of food and rent and everything going up. People need something else to hope in, um, that God is with us even in those challenging times too. I was thinking about this last year and how, well, last year's really, and how important, you know, maybe doing a blue Christmas service might be, you know, given people have lost others and things like that, or people just, you know, with all the inflation, people might not just be feeling Christmas or you know, what would it be like if you can't buy your kid the thing that they really want that's too expensive or, you know, whatever. As I think about that, I'm also thinking about the psalm. It's just full of lament. The psalmist writes to the shepherd of Israel, stir up your strength and come to help us. Where do you see us needing a shepherd right now? Or where do you wish that we had more strength? You know, I've been thinking a lot about our presiding bishops, what's it called, presiding bishops, election. And, you know, I feel like that's where us as a church, we need a shepherd. And I feel like we need to think about what is it that our church, who do we want to be? You know, who, Hmm. not want, I shouldn't say want, who do we need to be for this world? Yes. 
you know, especially thinking about Jesus coming, I think, okay, what did, you know, these words that Jesus gave us as, you know, he grew and what was Jesus trying to tell us, right? What is it? it and I really don't feel like God and Jesus were trying to tell us to just remain exactly how we are and how we've always been, but to, you know, reach those outside of our doors, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're not reach the people that are already in our pews. Yes, we they're important. And also the people that are outside of the, are the pews that usually don't look like the people that are inside our Episcopal doors, unfortunately. Right. So I feel like that's the kind of shepherd that we need as an Episcopal church. Somebody who can see that, you know, who can see Jesus's vision of the world and help us get there. How do we get there? We need a shepherd. Jesus didn't have a church, really. Uh, Jesus wandered. Jesus was in, among the people. Yep. If you want to say he went to the temple, well, my gosh, most of the time he went to the temple, he was pretty upset. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality of it was is only on rare occasion was Jesus not among the people. Mm-hmm. On occasion, like at the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he stood up and was above and spoke out to, but most of the time he was elbow to elbow. Mm-hmm. People, I always think about the woman with the hemorrhages mm-hmm. close enough to touch his hem, not somebody above and beyond or stuck in a box. This is a person that's out and about. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of shepherd we need. We need somebody who's going to walk not in front or behind, but beside us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and someone who goes out for the lost and looking for the lost. And so often, like you were saying, Sandra, we don't we don't go out. We stay in our comfy little church and to go and seek out those who are really needing a message of goodwill, a message of hope, a message that God is with us in the midst of all of our challenges and our suffering. And so we have a, a shepherd who identifies with us completely in that is something really radical. Yeah, and you know, shepherd in Spanish is pastor, and I know that we use pastor sometimes, you know, for our pastors. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to, um, uh, oh my gosh, her name just escaped me, who is actually a shepherd, Cornelia. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, when she was showing big pictures of the little, you know, the lambs, and she was showing me, you know, just telling me stories. I'm just... You know, it just hit me so much like that is Jesus to us, you know, just excited about when they're going to be born, you know, making sure that they have water. And so that's what I feel are, you know, physical religious shepherds also are called to do, right? To go and feed and give water and, you know, and go wherever they are at i don't know it's just i feel like there's more than sometimes our shepherds are doing or maybe feel like they can do or you know i don't know our seminaries i don't know are they really teaching you know what a shepherd is is really called to do Mm. as you were talking about that i was thinking about like where we need more strength and i feel like we're so comfortable in our little house right in our little buildings and we don't get out and so I think sometimes, you know, it's like the shepherd, we need a shepherd who makes us feel strong enough that we can go out on our own and feel, feel safe enough to go out and like interact with the community and know that they're there to support us if something goes wrong, you know, like all of those things and that we have to have that trust, I think, but we also have to sometimes get pushed out of the nest. Sorry, I changed the metaphor, but <laughs> get pushed out of the nest so that way we can actually go out and do, do that work. Out of the paddock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure, pushed out of our comfort zones, you know. And, and sheep can be ornery. The, the stories that I've heard of people who take care of sheep, like they can be hard to take care of. They tend to wander away. They fall down and then they can't get up again, or they get hurt and they need someone to take care of them, someone to keep them together, someone to keep them from overgrazing. Like it's a time intensive process, yeah. and I think we as sheep can be very troublesome. <laughs> And so we need a shepherd who sometimes can take a strong arm to us to keep us together, to keep us healthy, to keep us continuing to graze in healthy places rather than overgrazing on the same places. Um, And so, yeah, we need a shepherd who can sometimes uh, give us a little nudge with the crook. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Well, also remember, you know, the reason that uh, Shepherd has that crook is because occasionally there's a lion or a coyote coming up. So yeah, yeah. You know, we need that shepherd that's going to be willing to do battle for us. And I think we forget about that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. The psalmist kind of talks about God being angry. And I think sometimes, especially I think as oppressed people, you know, if we're in the down and outs, we might feel like God is angry with us. I know I've had an experience like that. What do you think we need to hear in order to help be brought out of that? Or what kind of message do we need to hear to know that God still loves us? Well, I think if we look at God as not necessarily being angry at us, but maybe at angry at those things that come against us, um, those things that harm us. Hmm. And maybe if we're harming others too, we can understand God as a as a parent who might be ticked off with us that we're hurting our brothers and sisters um, and our, our siblings both within the flock and outside of the flock. I tend to have gravitated away from this idea, this picture of God as, as an angry God, because sometimes I think it keeps me from that trust that I need, that comfort that I need from God. But sometimes I think God might be righteously angry if we're hurting one another, if we're mm. turning against one another. Um, so to see it as like a God who loves us, and the only reason a God who loves us would be angry is if we're not treating each other right. Like when you're treating your sibling badly and your parent is having to separate you and get you to deal with one another in a loving way and to teach you to respond in a way that God would respond versus the way we might naturally respond in anger. It's a challenging image, though. You know, I usually think about uh, when God is angry, I think we've over-anthropomorphized God because to me, God is pretty well unknowable. And just because I think God is angry, is God really angry? I don't know. Hmm. I always go back to Job because, you know, if you read the story of Job, Job didn't do anything to really be treated the way he was but he sort of yelled at god and god shows up and says well where were you what was this how do you know what i'm in my brain but i really love job's response job's response is well then i will be content that i am but dust and that you are my god he doesn't go woohoo you're my god at that moment he says i will be content and sometimes when we're in the midst of oppression and horrible things and pandemics and crazy elections and crazy people yelling racist, horrible stuff, sometimes content is enough. And that's where I, that's where I, how I get through these difficult times. Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky that I have amazing parents so I can think about even when they're upset with me, they still love me. Mm. I'm also, you know, Ellis knows, my son knows that I have a short fuse at times and but at the same time, like just as fast as I get upset, I get happy again, which, you know, sometimes it freaks him out. He's like, wait, what? What just happened? You know, but he knows how much I love him. I hope that we would all know God enough to know that because I do think God gets angry. I do. I mean, all of these, you know, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament says a lot about that stuff, you know, Um but yeah, so I just hope that we know God enough that we realize that, yeah, it will pass. You know, this will pass. And even though they're saying to God, you know, you're angry, how long will you be there, et cetera? They're still asking God, right? Like, uh, restore us. Mm -hmm. They know, they feel like they know, like, okay, come on, God, you know, you're a loving God, you're a beautiful God. Stop this, you know, and I feel like sometimes, you know, that's, we do that you know, sometimes and, you know, where people have to ask us, like, can you please stop that and be, you know, the loving self that you can be? And I feel God always responds positively to that. And, um, and we have examples, not only in the word, but we also have examples, I feel like in our own lives, hmm. where, you know, it seems like God, where was God? And then you can see God's hand all over it. So. Hmm. And I love that this psalm is a communal psalm. Like you were saying, Sandra, like this is about us. Um, right. Restore us and show your, the light of your countenance upon us so that we shall be saved. 
this idea that not only do we need God, but we need one another. And we need God to show favor on all of us together, that we're not just saved, me and Jesus, but we are saved together, that God has given us one another. And sometimes we don't get along and sometimes we hurt one another. And this is coming out of, I think, one of the times in Israel where they were oppressed by other armies and oppressive regimes coming against them, that God has given them one another to give each other strength. And so I think that's good to remember as well, that sometimes we see the face of God in one another in community, and that's really important to remember as well. Important to remember, too, is you know, we're asking about how, is, how do we know God is loving us? Well, Emmanuel, God is among us. God is with us. Mm. Incarnation itself is God demonstrating God's self, loves us so much that he's pouring himself out into human flesh to be with us. He's not something out there that's unknowable, untouchable. You know, God shows up in human flesh that we can touch and see. And, you know, if we think about it deeply enough, we can smell and taste the blood on the cross in very human, real, physical terms. It's not this ephemeral God that you think is angry. We have the God that's loving and dying us and walking among us. Mm-hmm. That's the real gift. But, you know, I feel like the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God, you know, I love the New Testament God is because I feel like Jesus is there, the feminine part of God, right? And I mean, I may be totally wrong, but I feel like it's that femme, that, you know, the hen, the mother, mm-hmm. the, you know, that all of a sudden became this, I don't know, like soft God, you know, all of a sudden it was, you know, a reachable God. And when I read the Old Testament, some people are like, no, you're, you're making it too much. He's, he wasn't that bad or God wasn't that bad. And I'm like, uh, God was bad. Like, you know, killing people left and right. Like, bam, bam. Just everybody was like, you know, we're going to fight and we're going to kill. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes and it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to just love everybody, you know, and love Jesus. And, you know, Jesus just loves. You're right. Like, that's the God that I think about, you know, like, please don't be like that. And again, I mean, I'm not a scholar, so I'm not, I'm not a Bible scholar, so I, I really can't say, you know, what y'all probably know more of. But to me, it just seems like, you know, there was a big difference when Jesus was born and the femme part of God, you know, seemed to come out and it was just different. Yeah, that nurturing, nurturing sort of side of God. I think that, you know, Jesus is picking up on those themes from the Old Testament itself, but so oftentimes the picture that we get is of this angry, vengeful, jealous God. And, you know, Jesus has his moments of anger as well, like when he's throwing the money changers out of the temple. But yet, yeah, that nurturing, caring, loving God, I think has been there all along and we just need eyes to see it. And I mean, you see it too, right? I mean, yeah. like providing food for people or for a person, you know, making sure that you know, they have water, right? I mean, making sure that they don't kill certain people. I mean, all of that shows, you know, the love and the gentleness of God. I just feel like there's so many more verses that are just like, and God killed them all, you know, and today you will see my wrath. And Which, I mean, trust me, I want that God too. You know, there's sometimes when I'm over here praying these psalms, you know, about my enemies, but you know, hey, that's... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> want that God on my side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the group that came out of Egypt, unthankful and ungrateful as they were, you can sort of understand why God is uh, <laughs> throwing a little bit of wrath around. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Whining and complaining. <laughs> Wasn't it the gospel a few Sundays ago where it's like, how long do I have to be with y'all? Isn't that, or was that just in my reading? Yeah, you know, about when um will when God comes back, will he find faith on the earth or Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yeah. For sure, for sure. <laughs> like, come on people, get it together. <laughs> so the gospel, sort of going off of what you said, John, that Emmanuel, it does say Emmanuel. And one of the questions I had is where have you experienced God being with you? Or where do you see God with us? Where do you see God in your mm-hmm. community? Well, I definitely see God when things are really beautiful, like to see the beauty in nature, being out and watching the sunrise over the pond and 
to get these little glimpses. We get so much sky here in South Dakota. We get to see like the glory of God in the sky and a thunder cloud rolled in a few days ago. And it was so dramatic. Like, so I think we see God around us in nature, but sometimes, oftentimes we really see God when we are in need, when we're suffering, when Mm. we need someone to be with us, we feel alone. um, And it might feel like God is far from us. I think that's when we really are longing for that God who is really with us, even when we're at our lowest point. When I was um, first month of the reservation, um, I got a call from a, a man who was a vet disabled. He said some people had broken into his house and stolen all of his food. He said it was odd. They had uh, left some jewelry, a watch, um, a DVD player they could have stolen real easily, but they just took the food. So I went over to pick him up, to take him to the grocery store. And as he came out, and I had seen there was a group of kids next to his house. And as he came out, he recognized these were the kids that broke into his house. Mm. And they were ravenously eating the food. Oh. And he broke down into tears. And he said, I, he got in the car and he's like, I can't bring myself to yell at them. They're hungry. Well, there's the face of Christ right there. And, you know. Instead of being wrathful and angry, it's compassion and little things like that you, you happen all the time where that's the that's the Holy Spirit moving to let us not have that human reaction, but to have the divine reaction, compassion and empathy and wanting to help. Mm-hmm. And I see that all the time. That's beautiful. Yeah, I see God all the time. I'm constantly praying. A friend of mine taught me that when I was about 16 to just literally pray throughout, you know, I don't have to close my eyes. I don't have to stop just praying the whole time. I've even prayed during movies like, Oh my God, please don't let that happen. And I'm like, (laughs) the movie has already been done, honey. So it's like, (laughs) but you know, I honestly, right. My, you know, I have a great niece and she's nine months old today. And I mean, just God is all over that baby, you know, just the smiles that we get, the, the hope, you know, there's just something about a new life that just reminds me that God is, that there is hope, that God is still here, God is with us, God loves us. There's second, third, fourth, 20th chance. I mean, it's pictures or seeing, getting, getting to see her is just God with me all the time. I think I see God a lot in community. Like mm-hmm. when I see people coming together and doing things. And one of the churches I serve is really small, like maybe 10 people on a Sunday and somebody had gotten this award. And so they did a celebration for him and all these people came from the community and the church was just like busting at the seams. And you just saw how folks who don't have a lot of money were able to pull together this meal. They weren't worried about who's gonna cater. There's grandma's bringing in fry bread and chili. And it was just this wonderful moment of togetherness. And you see like all the different generations and from the little babies to the, you know, grandmas, who knows how long they're going to be around. And I always think of, you know, you can see God present in all of that. God is a potluck. Everyone brings brings something and there's more than enough. (laughs) Yeah. We usually recently had a soup supper too, and we didn't, weren't sure we were going to have enough. People brought so much that we were packaging it up and putting it in the freezer so that we could give it to people later on. So it was like this great bounteous feast. (laughs) Often, you know, when I celebrate the Eucharist, uh, you get to the point where you get uh, the gifts of God for the people of God. Um, I often will insert um, the uh, St. Annas limb there, which is the body of Christ for the body of Christ. Behold what you are, become what you receive. And what you just described, uh, Christina, about community and coming together like that, that is the body of Christ becoming the body of Christ. Mm. Yeah. I love it when someone comes to my church and is hungry and I can give a container of soup from the freezer. Like I'm giving you something that we've cooked, not just a, a grocery card, but like here's some food that you can take home and it's nourishing and makes you stronger in a lot of different ways. It's about relationship. I always say Jesus didn't say pay for people to eat. He said, go break bread because it's about relationship. Yeah. Eat with them. And I think that's what Emmanuel is about too. It's about relationship, a different kind of relationship between who we are as people and God. 
Yeah. In Matthew, it's sort of talking about the story of Jesus and talking about Mary and being pregnant and being married. And they point out all this details about like her sex life in the, in this gospel. And I'm just like, I always wonder. So one, just sort of, I guess I'm putting it out there, like, what is the deal with that? Like, why is that so important? And then also, do you think, like, I wonder if it perpetuates this female purity stuff that leads to misogyny. And in the Lakota culture, we were not, we were not weird about that stuff. Like, we didn't care if someone was a virgin or not. Like, that wasn't important to us. Maybe that's why I struggle with it, because to me, it's not something that should matter. But what are y'all thoughts about that? Yeah, I think we've overlaid the story with so much of our own hangups, particularly Mm. in white Western culture, that, you know, they would have had some taboos, certainly in that Middle Eastern culture. And there were some rules, you know, about relationships and that kind of thing. But I think the essence of it is that God fully God. I mean, there are other stories in the ancient Near East about virgin births. There were Caesars that were reported to have virgin births, and there were Hmm. other gods in the Greek pantheon and the Roman pantheon that were supposed to have virgin births. And I think the gospel is setting this apart as this one is a little bit different because this is a God who's totally invested in us. This is not a half human, half God hybrid. This is like someone who is fully God and who comes into our mess and our shame and says, I am totally with you. So like this could have been a totally humiliating, shameful episode, both for Mary and for Joseph. But yet God comes into the midst in that and said, no, 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 I'm dwelling right here in your in your mess and your confusion and saying, I'm totally with you in this. And so, yeah, I think we do get hung up sometimes in the Western church, but I think to look at the essence of this, like going back to that idea of Emmanuel, God dwelling with us, there's something so beautiful about that. Like, Joseph, you don't have to divorce her silently or quietly or shamefully. I'm dwelling with you. And this is the message to receive me in the midst of all of your, your shame and your confusion. I don't know. That's the way I've been looking at it. Hmm. Yeah, I just don't buy it. (laughs) I just don't think it's important that she was a quote-unquote virgin. I do think it's sad that Mary was probably super, super young and that Joseph probably wasn't. I think that is another, you know, part of the story that I feel like we don't ever want to talk about. But I do think that this has perpetuated purity culture and therefore a lot of women being shamed. It's just been really awful. However, you know, I was talking to, as a matter of fact, I was just talking about this to some of my students yesterday. And we were talking about that because how about, you know, places where they're not Western Christians, right? And they're not in that. Where did this come from? Where did this thing about you have to be a virgin? Where, you know, and I always feel like that, you know, we have this fetish on femmes and femme bodies Mm -hmm. that you know, we don't want them to, you know, to be, we want to hurt them, harm them. They cannot feel pleasure. For me, it is all related and I don't get it. I don't know why that's such an important part of our religion. It doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. And I grew up in the evangelical tradition. So I grew up knowing that I wasn't supposed to have sex before marriage, which, you know, come on now, but <laughs> those things that, you know, thank God that I don't believe that. Cause I mean, right now, imagine I've, I've been divorced for 20 something years. I, you know, I can't, you know what I mean? Like, come on. It just doesn't mm-hmm. make it. Yeah. So for me, this is, it's, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that I'm like, Oh my Lord, why? You know? So, and this is one of them. And I don't know why we perpetuate the, Oh my gosh, you know, she was so pure. You know, a lot of people think that she was remained a virgin. It There's nowhere where it says that. As a matter of fact, it says there, or was it? He had no marital relations. What's that, y'all? Is that mm-hmm. sex? Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, with her until she was born. She had born a son. So that means as soon as that child was born, honey, Joseph, <laughs> let's go, baby. You know, so it's like... <laughs> And yet a lot of people still think, no, 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 she's still a virgin. It's like, so what happened to her other children? Right. Mm. What about the what about the brothers that we hear about later in the gospels? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do I really want the Holy Spirit inside of me like that? 
come on, y'all. Like that's, it's so sexual when you think about it. And yet we're all, I feel like Western spirituality and religion, particularly Christian religion, is so freaked out about sex. Mm. And this is part of it. And yet I'm like, this Holy Spirit had sex with Mary in a way. Anyway, so I'm like, come on, y'all. Like, I just can't with this <laughs> with this stuff. And I, I, you know, I really wanted to write something about this, but it just cracks me up a lot. <laughs> I grew up half Jewish, half Christian. My uh, stepfamily was Jewish. And consequently, I knew a lot about Judaism. And I, I studied Midrash for 30 years, which is oh. the reading between the lines, so to speak. Hmm. Something that, uh, you know, we've imposed our modern understanding of what virgin meant. Because for Jewish people, virgin did not mean you'd never had sexual relations. Oh. And you'd never born a child. Oh. Think about it, back 2,000 years ago, fertility was a big issue because of malnutrition, disease, both men and women often couldn't bear children. Look at Sarah. Sarah Mm -hmm. couldn't bear children. So many barren women. That was a big, big issue. So a woman who had never born a child was a virgin until she had born a child. So we've imposed a new definition of what virgin means that's different from the Jewish understanding way back then. And yeah, it's been used as a hammer for morality and misogyny and control and power because Frankly, if you were Jewish and you didn't get pregnant, I'd have another wife. Mm. It's concubines, and then I'd have five children. Hopefully, you know, that's biblical marriage is not what people say it is. Right. It's uh, one man and how many concubines, you know? So I'll just leave it at that. But Yeah, biblical family values. Yeah. Right, exactly, which, you know, Jesus has, you know, according to the you know, Bible stuff, Jesus has two dads, right? And so for me, it's like what you're just saying, John, I mean, I like put that on Facebook real quick and just, you know, give all my siblings, my family siblings who have um, uteri or whatever to, to be like, hey, you're still a virgin if you haven't had born a child. But, and then, you know, like you have these like, oh, and then God looked favorably on this person and gave her a child. You know, all of my siblings who can have children who haven't been able to, I mean, I can't even imagine how awful that feels, you know, to for God mm. to smile on you or not to smile on you. You know, it's so many things that we behold as important sometimes, always, I shouldn't say some that harm somebody, right? Mm. So for me, it's being able to talk through these things, but... God loves us no matter what. Yes. But sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really difficult when I'm reading, you know, the Bible. It's like, my God, some of this stuff that has perpetuated, you know, racism and misogyny and homophobia, and you know, in the church for so long. And yeah, it's harmful. And I can see how it can be harmful. So how do we move past that? Yeah. Yeah. The idea that God wants to be born in her. You know, I think that God wants to be born in each one of us, that God's life is within us to be born so that we can give it as life to the world. Is That's a really beautiful picture, like you were talking about, Sandra, like God being right inside of us. Like, that's intense. I don't know if I want to think about God being born. <laughs> there i need some consent here mm. <laughs> yeah and he, yeah that, that's true the bible is filled with sexuality and intimacy yep yes we are so as christians we are so afraid of it i never understand it yeah it is such i mean just the whole thing this holy spirit whoop, just went inside me and i'm pregnant we all know what it takes to get pregnant And then Jesus calling us the bride and he's the groom and all of these things that are about like, you know, Teresa de Avila talks about, you know, that ecstasy and, and yet we are so afraid of it. Or we just, I mean, like, you know, prostitutes or like concubines, et cetera. I mean, look how negatively women are seen 
Mm. Yet in the Bible, it, you know, I don't know. It's just so confusing. It's so confusing. And yet at the same time, I adore Jesus. I love Jesus, you know, and I can't imagine not having Jesus in my life, you know? And so for me, sometimes those things are like, oh my God, I just don't get it, you know, but That could be an interesting sermon idea is just to talk about the tension of those things, right? Like Mm -hmm. how do we sit in that tension? You know, I think Mary, she was looked favorably upon also, but then she took a lot of risks too. And there's that tension there. Like here she is carrying God's baby, God itself, but that's all these risks. What risks do you see women taking today? And how are you seeing courageousness in women today? Just living. Honestly, I feel like a woman being alive and just presenting, or a femme, I should say, presenting themselves as femme is taking a risk, you know, Mm. for a lot of our siblings who are trans and um, who may not, quote unquote, look like what society thinks a femme should look like, that's taking a risk, you know, Mm -hmm. and being ourselves completely is taking a risk, you know, us showing our nipples is taking a risk, you know, being happy with our bodies is taking a risk. I mean, mm. so for me, femmes, females, women, girls, unfortunately, you know, we have so much, I mean, it's just living, you know, mm. we know the statistics about how many of us will be sexually abused from, you know, birth. It is so high. How many of us are, you know, sold and bought, how many of us, you know, it's just, I feel like being a female, being femme is already a risk. And Mm. those of us who actually believe that our voice matters and when we speak up, that's taking even a bigger risk. And then you add on it, a person of color, then you add on it, like I'm just describing myself, you know, being fat, (laughs) you know, being indigenous, being Mm. dark, you know, you add all of these things and it is risky to be alive. And yet I feel that's exactly what Jesus is. I feel again, like Jesus is femme. I feel Jesus, you know, is with me, understands me about that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just the courage to speak up about our own, you know, the injustice that we see um, when you see the people who are protesting now for advocacy over our own bodies, and you know that is under threat, and so how do we speak up in ways that um, can be heard? Looking at the young women who are protesting in Iran over their mistreatment there, mm. they are risking their very lives to protest yeah. very existence and to be who they are in their society. And so we have an easier time, although it's not easy, but to continue to get the courage from God to be the people that each of us who God has created us to be just as we are, because God thinks that that's beautiful and to recognize that and be that in the world. Yeah. Well, I'm going to link a little bit of the earlier question up to the answer to this question, because um, Western church, if you asked who was Jesus's mother, We'll say the Virgin Mary. You ask mm-hmm. a Western Christian who is Jesus' mother, they would say the Theotoka. Right, Theotokos, yeah. Part of my faith is that first gift to mankind, the Holy Spirit. So God dwells within each of us, and each of us are the Theotoka. Hmm. One of the things that really bothers me is this misogynistic culture. Jewish people, creation was beautiful. God said, this is good. Indeed, it's very good. But somewhere when they were trying to bring platonic understandings in conformance to Christianity or vice versa, somehow spirit became more important and flesh became evil. Mm. Well, that's not a Jewish understanding. And the reason that women are so pushed down is that men are in control and they are of the flesh. They bring up the rise of flesh in men, quote unquote. And that's why women are treated terribly because when it really gets down to it, creation and the material world is evil. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, that's not my understanding. That's not Jewish understanding. 
And if God says this is good, how can it be anything but good? Right. This whole sexual fetish stuff that happens in Western culture and Christianity is, I think, a deviation from what it means to be human. Hmm. It comes down to um, if it's adult, consensual, and strengthens a relationship, how can it be anything but of God? I'll just leave it there. And I agree with you all. Um, when you're taking it on the chin for for all of this stuff from 6,000 years ago. So let's just fix it, all of us. Well, you know, honestly, when we're talking about that whole fetishizing of femme bodies and stuff, that's not just Western. I mean, that's what we see about the East and the so much done against girls, young girls. and. Mm-hmm. You know, raping and uh, marrying them off when they're little girls. I mean, and that's when, you know, I think about how do we say that God is with us when that happens all the time? Mm -hmm. That's when it becomes, for me at least, very difficult. Like, you know, the stuff that happens to me, I'm like, I'm an adult now. You know, the stuff that happened to me as a girl, I'm glad I survived it. But you know, how do you say God is with you? Mm. How can you say that and mean it? You know, mm. well, because you didn't die. I mean, so, you know, for me, I, you know, when I question all of these things again and again, it it's becomes really difficult to be, you know, a Christ follower or a God follower, because sometimes it just feels like, wow, God, really, what, where are you? You know, mm-hmm. all the people that get murdered every day, the wars, all that stuff. And, so when people say, oh, God wants peace, you know, I, I'm i still trying to find the Bible verse where it says there will be peace on earth because I haven't found it, you know, so, or that we're supposed to be happy. It's not there. So, you know, all of those things that I think about a lot. So <laughs> that's a good thing about it, being an Episcopalian. We can ask questions. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes there aren't any answers to the questions, but it's important to ask them. Um, and I think God welcomes our questions as well as our affirmations of faith. Like we can wrestle with God. We can struggle over the questions. Um, and that doesn't mean that our faith is any less. It means that our faith is actually quite strong if we can have that, that wrestling with God. I mean, that's the word Israel comes from, right? He wrestles with God. Like mm-hmm. we wrestle with God and that's a strong relationship when you can really contend and say, God, why is this? <laughs> How long, God? Really? But remember, Jacob walked away wounded to become Israel. Yeah. So, yeah, well, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Yeah, there's always a little bit of pain with it. All thorn. Mm-hmm. And I often wondered about that because sometimes by, you know, we pick up our own cross to follow Jesus and there's always some pain with it. Yeah. I really hear what you were saying, Sandra. And I always look at, you know, where is God in all of this? I had some PTSD issues showed up once when my priest prayed for a parking space and received it. And I was saying, why didn't God answer the mother who was praying for their child as they were both murdered in Guatemala? Hmm. Answer a car space? And Well, I don't think it has anything to do with God. I think all that evil has a lot to do with evil in the world, and God has given us free will. And it's all of our free wills sort of manifest into this ugliness in the world. And I think God weeps right along with us and would like to stop it just as much as us. But he'd violate free will if he steps in too much. I don't know if I believe that because, you know, in the Bible also, it says how God hardens people's hearts. And it also says about allowing the devil to do so, like with Job, right? God was like, sure, I dare you, you know, so... For me, that's those are the things that I'm like, you know what? I I don't know. There's some problematic stuff. <laughs> Despite all that, Job never took God off the throne, and that was the point for me. And I would have for sure. So you know, yeah, I think I would have too. <laughs> I would be like, let's go with the devil here. Let's go. When they've done studies of like how people are resilient or why some people who've experienced horrible trauma don't like repeat the trauma or how they've like healed from it. What they said was like, especially like if you were talking about childhood abuse, if somebody comes in and tells that child, even if they can't stop it, if they've told the child that what's happening to you is not okay and it's wrong and this isn't supposed to happen this way, that makes a huge difference in how they end up. 
mm. and where where their brain is at later. Even if we can't always stop something from happening, if we can let folks know that that's not the way it's supposed to be or that's not the way it's meant to be, that makes a difference too. Mm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, I know people who have experienced tremendous healing when they've been able to know that although God did not stop the abuse, let's say, from happening, that God was with them and identifying with them, that God was taking the abuse as well. Um, it didn't take away the abuse, but God was with them in that time, in their greatest need. And there can be hopefully some healing, some restoration, some redemption, maybe even in the midst of those terrible things that we do to one another as human beings. Christina, I'll tell you, for me personally, I have a, I have some abuse in my uh, background as well, emotional, physical, sexual abuse. And when I was little, I, I got to a point where I was just totally hopeless, wondering, you know, what on, you know, what in the world? I didn't know. I was too little. That was the first time God showed up for me. And I, have no, I had no doubts it was God showing up. I could feel God. I could sense God. And uh, to have that moment to know that I wasn't alone, even though I felt alone, is exactly what you're saying. And that was such a profound and powerful experience for me. And I, and I know not everybody gets that. And I, I really look at that and I'm grateful for that as a gift that was given to me. Hmm. So, so I really hear you on that because um, I will never doubt the presence of God. I'll, I'll often be like Job and say, what are you doing, God? But <laughs> I'm not going to doubt the presence of God. That could be one, you know, preaching technique would be to talk about when has God been with you and, and that experience. But I think God also called Mary and Joseph, right, to do this, something difficult. When has God called you to do something difficult? Or when has God, or the sacred, this is the other one that I think is even more tricky, is like, you know, Joseph had to change his mind. And so when has God called you or the church maybe to change its mind or to do something difficult? Well, I'm grateful for my calling as a woman in ministry. And that is something that the church had to change its mind about. Some people in the church still haven't changed their mind about Mm. that. But I had to change my mind about that too, because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen myself as a woman represented as a person in ministry. And so when I received my calling to be in ministry, I said, I don't know if I believe in female ordination, God, because I hadn't seen it represented. So God had to reassure me that God believed in female ordination and then convince me that I should as well. You know, when I've come up against people who don't believe in women being ordained, I can say, I understand where you're coming from because I was there once too. And then God called me. (laughs) And then I had to say, huh, maybe I need to rethink this one, God. Maybe I need to be obedient and listen to what you're saying as to my value and my calling that I couldn't even see myself. So that's a little example. Mm. One thing about Jesus changing Jesus's mind, you know, when he was sitting at the table and the the, the Syrophoenician woman comes up and asks for bread and he says, no, we have to feed the children first. Then she talks about the scraps under the table, but then Jesus feeds her. Um, He changed his mind about whether or not Gentiles were at the table or not. Mm. Jesus truly changing Jesus's mind or did he set that up as a story and a parable for us to understand something and then also did God change God's mind when he said um I don't think this uh law thing is working I need to send Jesus in to fulfill and change how the law works so 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 did God change God's mind or was it all planned out to be that way I don't know that's my favorite thing about being Episcopalian is having the question and also being able to say, I don't know. <laughs> There's great freedom in that. Yes. And humility. One of the things that I've had to understand is that part of my ministry is to challenge our church. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt very like, is it just me? Am I just, you know, being angry or, you know, just I've had to question myself a lot especially when you know because people get very hurt very angry very they tell me they feel attacked etc so you know I've really had to think about it and then finally you know through meditation and through spiritual guidance 
you know, I had to finally accept that this is part of my ministry. And I also had to realize that it was not for me. You know, this, what I, whatever I talk about is not about me. It is about for the better of the church and for the better of the people. And so I feel like God called me to do that. And at the same time to see, all right, Sandra, this is Sandra, or this is, you know, people, this is my people, right? Why are you speaking up? And so that's one of those things that I've had to really think about. And still to this day, you know, I have to think, all right, do I really want to talk about this or not? Is this really something that just upsets me? Or is this something that's truly being, you know, a, an inequity or a, something against people? So for me, it's very difficult and it's like a daily thing. You are a prophet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you love the church enough that you want it to change and be aligned with the heart of God. And that is a beautiful thing. But it is, you said, it's a hard calling. It's hard. It's lonely. It's, you know, you question yourself all the time and it's difficult. And, you know, people, when they call me, like when they'll say, oh, you're a prophet, I'm just like, you know, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that. However, if that's what it means to speak up against what's usually the norm, then I'll take it, you know, but but it's hard. Yeah. And to do it in love. I'll say, Sandra, show me a prophet that didn't question whether or not they were doing the right thing. Show me a prophet that didn't want to not do what they were doing. You know, they all had hesitations. and, And I think that's part of the humanity of it is that we're... You know, God chooses us sometimes when we're the least prepared to do it because that's showing and demonstrating God's power. But to, to have those doubts, that's that's a good thing because only by asking the question will you truly have the answer. If we just go blindly into it, you know, that's faithless. Being faithful is asking the question and still doing it anyway. Hmm. When you're now on executive council, right? So... That's obviously people have heard your prophetic voice. And have welcomed it. Yeah, that will allow it to be heard more widely, I think. We'll see because, you know, I have, again, I've already started talking and they're just like. <laughs> right. You question this. And the worst part for me, you know, is that it's not about specific people. Mm-hmm. Right. When I question something, it is not like if I said something to Shaniqua, she, you know, I, I think you would know it's not about you. Right. It's about, you know, the whole, you know, what are you doing? Like, what is the church doing that this thing that you're leading? What is that? You know what I mean? But I feel like some people just internalize that. Mm-hmm. How dare you question me? You know, I'm doing it with good intentions or something. And it's like, I've done a lot of things with good intentions and they've been wrong. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, well, Sandra, for you to show love by questioning, I mean, it might not feel like love for them, but you are doing it out of love. Um, even if it comes off as harsh for some people, you're doing it out of love to make the church better and to make the church look more like Jesus. And that that's a precious calling. It's not an easy one. You have to lean into God every day, like you were saying, right? Pray all the time. <laughs> trust God to lead you yeah well I see John and I like I want to be like that because he seems really calm and with a smile I want to be able to t- say the truths you know that I know I have to say it like that like I need to learn how to just be like and smile <laughs> because, I mean people knows me and I'm just like well blah 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 you know what I mean so I need to learn how to be a, I need to also learn how to be more you know I don't know just and this is a couple episodes ago but i will never forget it and i have to keep remembering it but phil hooper who i think you've heard or met or at least know who he is he we were trying to figure out why was john like how could john yell at people and call them broods of vipers and people still come and phil was like well i kind of imagine john's wearing you this fur coat and all this stuff and funny clothes and he's like i kind of imagine like he's like a drag queen reading people be like, girl, your hair needs to be fixed. I don't know who you think you're like. And then I was like, okay, I could see that. And it, I never really thought of John as a drag queen reading people, but I could see like if we could see that, Sandra, as you, you know, reading people in that same. I'm serious. I wish I could <laughs> like that because I think that would be hilarious, and hopefully people would listen. I right. know. 
Yes. I mean, I'm like, you know, I've thought about that too. Now, how do I give the message in a different way where people will be like, okay, I get it. Instead of like, how dare you? you know? Right. I think it's also how seriously people take each other, right? Like some people, if they put themselves way up high, you know, they can't yeah. understand the humor in it or they can't just take it and be like, oh yeah, that's really good feedback. Thank you. Instead of like, oh, how dare you challenge me and my blah, 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 you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shanique, when your your version of the uh, Gospels will RuPaul be John? <laughs> if I was making it, maybe I could I could totally see it. I don't know. I think John, whoever it is, has to be a little more campy. I think RuPaul's a little bit too well put together because John, you know, ate locusts and stuff. He's a bit of rough, kind of rough. Yeah, a little more. Yeah, a little more campy. Kind of like Shangela when she first started. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say RuPaul is either bald or perfect hair, and John did not have perfect hair. Right? Yeah. yeah, wild and crazy hair. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to pull it back to actually what we were talking about earlier about this, you know, questioning and faith. And I was thinking about Joseph when you all were talking about that because poor Joseph, you know, he was just a good guy trying to help out this poor young girl, and then and suddenly he finds out she's pregnant. He's like. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, okay, whatever. And he kindly is trying to do it quietly. But, you know, just think about poor Joseph, the stepdad to God. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) You know, I always respect that with Joseph because that had to be a hard thing for him to do. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring it back to that. So, yeah, yeah, sometimes standing up for what's right is not going to be respected by the world. And that's a risky thing, right? That we need to stand up for the the one who's being picked on, even though we might be accused of being the bully. And to step forward and do the right thing, even when it's not respected by those around us, that's a challenge. To be entirely yourself, Sandra, and to go into that board meeting and be entirely yourself. Like, that's the gift that God has given you and the gift that you are to the church and to the world. You know, I've always loved Joseph. There's this Christmas song about Joseph that I, it's my favorite, one of my favorite, I shouldn't say my favorite, because I love Christmas music, but it's about, you know, him, about like, what did you do? You know, did how did you feel, you know? And, or, and then Joseph singing about like, uh, it's a strange way, it's called, it's a strange way to save the world by this little baby. You know, but it's mm-hmm. funny that you you bring that up, John, because I've always also thought like, wow, you know, stand up guy, etc. And then for some reason, this time when I was reading the gospel, this just hit me. So it says her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. And I'm like, how is that? Like, wouldn't you want to stay with her if she's? pregnant and like how is it leaving just bye like quietly (laughs) i feel like she would have been killed or you Mm. know well the other option was to expose her and have her stoned that was the punishment would have been she would have been stoned right but that's what i mean like but he was gonna leave quietly so he was Mm -hmm. still gonna leave her yeah so for me that's not cool I agree with you on that, but the other option was to expose her and have her, you know, be the first man throwing the rock. Yeah, but what I was like, no matter what, she was still going to get killed. Whether yeah. he left or exposed her, even if he left quietly, she was still going to get stoned. Right? Yeah. Hence Angel Gabriel showing up, setting everything straight. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the first time that it's hit me. And I'm like, wait a second, dude was going to leave. So he's going to leave her alone no matter what. You know, and I'm like, mm, I don't know how I feel about Joseph right now. I still like him. <laughs> I mean, I think he was struggling to do the right mm-hmm. thing. And so we all like struggle to do the right thing and we have limited understanding. And so we're kind of floundering along. We need, we need, sometimes we need the angel to point us in the right direction. Like, nope, you're not, you're going that way. I want you to go this way. And it took a dream, sort of this sort of supernatural dream of an angel to get him to do the thing that God wanted him to do. Sometimes we don't get it right the first time (laughs) or the second or the third. (laughs) In Muslim culture uh, and stories and in some of our um, non-canonical stuff, 
Mary was not the first one asked to bear mm. the child. Um, and I can't remember who the first one was, but the second one was um, Elizabeth, mother of um, John the Baptist. And she said no. And the first one said no. And then finally it came to Mary. And they say Mary was probably 12 or 13 years old. And imagine being a 13-year-old facing down the angel of God and accepting this thing. And hmm. Sandra, you were just talking about that song you were thinking of. And I, I know what song it is, and I can't remember the name of it. But there's also there's a, um, a song that the Benedictine nuns would sing when they were washing uh, clothes. And um, it was about the swaddling cloth also being Jesus's shroud and that Mary understood from the moment she put the swaddling cloth in that there would be a shroud that she would be dealing with too. Mm. 12, 13, 14 years old is the God bearer facing all this down. Wow. There's, you want to talk about a powerful woman. There's a powerful woman. Once again, another big wow. I was thinking about the, what you had said about Joseph changing his mind. And I remember she's a retired police chief. She was telling a story about there's three kinds of police that you will hire and she's, or that you think about. And so she's like, it's, it's, you know, it's like, let's say they get off at five and it's, you know, four fifty-five, and they're driving and there's like a lady with a, a, like a grandma, you know, and her, she has a flat tire. And so she's like, there's the cop that just sees it and just keeps driving. Cause they're, you know, and just the, and she's like, then there's the one that will pull over and actually help. And then there's the one that drives past and then later will turn around and come back and help. And she's like, you always want that last one. They might not always do what's right first, but they will do what's right eventually. And they know what they're called to do. And I think maybe that's sort of how the, the angel can help push Joseph to do, the, to do the right thing. What suggestions do you have for preaching this Advent for? I really love what John was saying about God becoming God's self. And then with Christina, you know, about having God inside us. And so that means that all of us are gods, right? Like in the most beautiful way, not in the like, oh, we can do anything we want. But, you know, in that like God wanted to be with us so badly that God, you know, decided to be born of a woman. So I think that's a beautiful, just to remind us that God is always with us, even you know, when we don't understand it, when it doesn't make sense, you know, when we wish we could be doing another thing. I feel like that's what I would like to hear if I'm listening to a pastor preaching. You know, I would like to hear that, that God is with me, wants to be with me all the time, longs to be with me. And, you know, we have that chance to conceive God every single day and to, you know, have that light of the world for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Amen. That word from the psalm is coming back to me that restore us, that we might be saved. I think a lot of people are feeling really tired, really beleaguered, hard to do the right thing in the midst of all of the societal disruption that we've had and divides between peoples. But yet God has put us in such a place that we're in now for a reason, to be that incarnation just as god is incarnated in us we are then incarnated god in the world and so we get to be that the hands and feet i just read a story about a crucifix that um, was received by a monastery and it had come broken the arms were broken off and the nuns kept it as is they didn't send it back they kept it as is because they realized that we are supposed to be the arms Mm. And so they meditated on that, that we are supposed to be the arms. So God is with us so that we can be God with us in the world and to be the arms of Christ, showing the love, showing the care, the compassion, the forgiveness. We might not get it right the first time or the second time or the third time, but God gives us those infinite chances to really listen and to do the right thing to show the love of God in the world. Advent 4 is always the last Sunday we get to talk uh, before Christmas. And so to me, I go back to what I said earlier on. It's about preparation. Hmm. People to remember and understand that God pouring God's self out into human flesh, we're all asked to help. But that help is 
painful and difficult. Just like being Christian every day is actually a pretty difficult thing, but because this is Advent, Mary, once again, a 12 or 13, 14-year-old girl, eight months pregnant, riding a donkey those past last few days into Bethlehem. Can you imagine being eight months pregnant on the back of a donkey going through the desert? What kind of faith, what kind of strength, what kind of courage? And we need to show that same kind of courage and persistence and fortitude and faith that we're willing mm-hmm. to take that suffering help pour out human flesh, God into human flesh. And so that's part of our picking up the cross, our picking up Paul's thorn, us walking with the limp, because to encounter God, we have to suffer just a little bit. So prepare to encounter God. That's my big message for Advent 4. I'm thinking a lot about like sin or broken relationship and redemption. Because I, I read that in the Psalm and then also in the story of Joseph changing his mind, you know, like I could see telling the story somewhere in there when that's happened or maybe being challenged, you, you know, you made a decision because it was easy and then there was the right decision was more difficult in a time you've done that either as a church or, you know, as a person. And we didn't really talk about Romans, but, you know, Romans is all about the outside and Paul telling the outsiders, the Romans, that they are part of the group. And so you could also maybe talk about who is not a part of our group and who might be called to be a part of our group. And sometimes, you know, those have been for our church, difficult decisions that have actually like fractured our church in making that right decision to include people who have otherwise been excluded. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today and being willing to share your wisdom and thoughts. It's been great to have you all. I really appreciate your time and wisdom today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been great to be here. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Christina, John, and Sandra. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Asma. If you were moved by today's conversation, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until next time, let your light shine. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.